Let's chat about how to get what you need for your home when you don't have a lot of cash or credit. You can do that at Aaron's. Rent to own appliances, furniture, and tech from top brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. But say you don't need it anymore, no problem. At Aaron's, you can return your product at any time or even upgrade it for something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom. The volume. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight. Happy Sunday, everybody. I hope all of you guys are having a great weekend so far. We are live on Ant. Don't forget. If you're listening on YouTube or on the podcast feed, the AMP is the very first place that you guys can get these shows. The Golden State Warriors are only capable of playing incredibly hectic comeback fourth quarter type of games. And they suffer a really disappointing loss in Denver, but I thought it was another indication of some of their athleticism limitations. We're going to dive into that a little bit. Then we're going to have our guy Carson come on. We're going to hit some questions around the league, including some Lakers, that big matchup between the Sixers and the Bucks. The Dallas Mavericks suffer what could be their crippling loss here, putting them in a tough spot at the end of the play-in tournament. And then I have some thoughts on the CBA negotiations and the league potentially heading in the wrong direction. So we got a lot of stuff to get into today. You guys know the drill before we get started. Subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT. And for whatever reason, you guys miss one of these shows and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish, don't forget you can find them wherever you get your podcasts under hoops tonight. All right, let's talk some basketball. So, you know, (laughs) there's this separation between the winning core of the Warriors and what they can do to grind out wins. You know, it's funny, uh, when I was a younger basketball player here in the city of Tucson and I'd play in the men's leagues and stuff around town, we would frequently lose to older teams that didn't have as much talent as us, but they just kind of knew how to play, right? And that sort of basketball IQ, fierce competitiveness, sheer force of will, whatever your elite top-end talent is that your specific team has, you can ride that a certain extent. But at the end of the day, this is a contact sport. And there's a great deal of, there's a great many physical confrontations taking place on the court. I I remember I'm a Cowboys fan. And I remember in the mid 2010s when their offensive line was so damn good, like they'd roll up into green Bay to play the Packers 
And yeah, they're not as good as Aaron Rodgers and, and Richard Rodgers and everybody that was on that team, but they would just dominate the line of scrimmage and run the ball wherever they needed to go and eat chew up clock, dominate time of possession, and they'd win. And it didn't matter what kind of skill advantages that the Packers had or whatever team the Cowboys were playing had. And I've always said that like those physical confrontations, that athleticism, the whether that's perimeter defense and containing the ball, crashing the offensive glass or the defensive glass, running up and down the floor in transition, all of those things are the physical battles that take place on the basketball court. And if you lose all of those, you have to be damn near perfect everywhere else. And, you know, Denver has a lot of athletes on the roster. Peyton Watson, just again, how many times in the NBA do we have to see whether it's, you know, a guy like a, a guy like Peyton Watson, what we've seen just Jonathan Kaminga with the Warriors flying around here the second half of the season on the uh, Lakers, guys like Jared Vanderbilt or guys like Wenyan Gabriel. We see this type, this archetype of player around the league. And as if you're taller than six, seven, and you're athletic and you just play your ass off, you can impact the game of basketball in a lot of different ways just by flying around. Peyton Watson was everywhere in the second half of this game, making plays just with his length and athleticism. Christian Braun, Bruce Brown, that Denver bench is athletic. And and they and here's the thing, with that Warriors roster, even though they've added Gary Payton, now the reality is, is without Andrew Wiggins, they're a a significantly below average team in the NBA from the same point of athleticism. And you can win and overcome that. You just have to be perfect. We're going to get into this a little bit deeper when we talk about the Mavericks later on in the show, but like Steph and, and, and Clay could make a three in this game. I think they were six for 26 up until that, uh, the final sequence. I can't uh, remember um, what they actually finished as, but they weren't shooting very well. And if they're not going to shoot well, they can't overcome those physical disadvantages. Same thing with Kyrie and Luca. Kyrie and Luca have to be damn near perfect to make up for the limitations that they have elsewhere on the roster. It's just a lot to ask. And, you know, again, I, I think we've seen a lot of this narrative with the Nuggets as it pertains to Jokic's MVP case, trying to minimize the talent that's on this Denver roster. And the reality is, is it's a lot of the same issues that I've been talking about with the Lakers having to do with staggering. They just, they play their starters together all the time. And then they bring in these line shift bench groups and as a result, those groups really struggle because they don't have nearly enough talent because they don't stagger their players very well. They do occasionally, but not nearly as much as some of the other teams in the league. And so you get these absurd point differentials. I'm sure some of you guys who are listening to the NBA TV broadcast tonight, they had uh, a graphic that they put up on the screen showing what the Nuggets are when Jokic is on the floor and what the Nuggets are when Jokic is off the floor. And you'll see differentials there with the best players in the league often. That's normal. They're, they're your best player. And Obviously, in the NBA, the the singular best player on your team has more impact on on winning than just about any other team sport. And so, obviously, removing that kind of guy off the floor, you're going to see a, a drop off that that goes around the entire league, regardless of which player we're talking about. But re, the reality is, is Denver, even though it doesn't have the same kind of big names that you see in some of these other supporting casts, like when you go to um, the Bucks, you know, Brooke Lopez and, and Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton, they're a little bit more renowned around the league, right? When you go to Philly, James Harden obviously is, is considered a superstar, even if he's probably on the tail end of that side of things. Tyrese Maxey was off the charts good again tonight with his shot making. He's a guy that you think of as like a star guard. So you think of those rosters as more talented, and I think they are probably. 
but not much. And, and the truth is, is that that Denver roster has a lot of professional NBA starting level basketball players that complement Nikola Jokic extremely well. And they do have a good amount of size on the perimeter. What's Golden State's biggest weakness? Perimeter size, right? Uh, especially without Andrew Wiggins. Without perimeter size, you buy opportunities to shoot over the top for people, right? So, like, you know, if the Warriors have to put Jonathan Kaminga to, to try to handle a guy like Jamal Murray on any given possession, then guess what? Michael Porter Jr. is going to be isoing Steph Curry. And, and Steph competes defensively, and he puts in all the effort. But the reality is, is if Steph contests a Michael Porter Jr. hesitation pull-up three, he's not bothering that shot. He's just not. And there's just He's just giving up too many inches there, right? So, like, Michael Porter Jr. just – consistently getting to his spots and elevating and knocking shots down. Aaron Gordon as a do-everything forward. Contavious Caldwell-Pope, one of the most professional two guards that you have in the league that just does everything well that you need in a supporting player on an NBA roster. They, they have a lot of talent, a lot of athleticism. This is a good team. And guess what? Jamal Murray, he's capable of hitting all of the high-level shots that the other stars around the league hit. This game kind of got off the rails there in that early fourth quarter. Who was it that was hitting the shots? It was Jamal Murray flying through, I think it was an elevator screen at the top of the key and knocking down a shot or uh, the the Nuggets forcing a turnover and Jamal Murray dribbling down the floor and pulling up from three. I think, you know, I don't know how many times we have to see this, whether it's with the Lakers and how bad they looked with LeBron James and Anthony Davis and a bunch of like terrible role players versus good NBA starter level role players or this Warriors team who has struggled so much this season uh, uh, compared to last season because of just dropping two significant role players that they used to count on. Third, if you count for Andrew Wiggins uh, getting out of the lineup. It, it, we just, in NBA history, we've way too frequently applied too much credit to stars. They absolutely are the determining factor for a team's ceiling. That goes without saying, but you do need good basketball players down the roster, and Denver has a lot of really good basketball players. Um, and that's why, as of right now, if the season were to end today, I mean, we'll see we'll see how things go with the Lakers and matchups and and Andrew Wiggins. I saw a report uh, uh, yesterday that potentially he's returned to the Bay Area. I don't know if that means he's nearing a return to the team or not. Apparently, he had been out of San Francisco before that, right? So, like, obviously, some things can shake up at the bottom of the West. But right in, in the Suns won again tonight in Oklahoma City. Kevin Durant looked amazing. Big shock that the, that poor shooting night the other night was an anomaly. So there are teams in the bottom that could potentially enter this mix, but Denver to me remains the safest bet for the time being until we see a, ma a matchups because they just have that top tier superstar. They've got the supporting players that fit perfectly with him. They have home court advantage and statistically speaking, one of the best home court advantages in sports because of elevation, they're just in a really good spot. And, 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 and that's why if the season were to, if, if I had to make a pick right now, I think the nuggets are the safest pick, even though there are lots of threats in the conference. All right, guys, we're going to get to a bunch of uh, other topics around the league, but we're going to wait for my guy Carson Carson to call on. Carson, what's up, buddy? It is good to see you, my friend. Good to see you too, man. Uh, so as you said, a lot we want to hit on here. Let's start with this. Anthony Davis has been on an unbelievable stretch as of late. He's had 37 or more points in four of his last five games. Is he now playing well enough? to be considered in the same tier as Jokic and Bede when we're talking about that absolute top class of big men around the league? 
Dude, I'm so excited to talk about this with you. You're the specific person that I think is the the perfect person to have this discussion with. Because you're, you're a huge Jokic fan. I, as of late, have ranked Embiid above him. And obviously, Anthony Davis is on this tear. I'm excited to get into it. That was an impressive win for the Lakers, by the way. They went down into Houston and and just crushed them. And uh, uh, Anthony Davis looked great. LeBron James was just playing old man ball, passing the basketball around. Ruby Hachimura just... Yeah, I, I've always said position battles are like the best thing to bring out the best in a basketball player. And it's like, hey, dude, do all the dirty work or sit behind Jared Vanderbilt. And he stepped in and he's playing really well. It was a good win. The Lakers are looking really, really good. As of right now, they are literally tied in the loss column for the five seed. Can you believe that after this season? Uh, but so here's this is my this is my take, Carson. I think that. Anthony Davis is in the same tier with those guys, but does not have a case to be considered above them. Um, again, you have to factor in availability with this stuff. Like I frequently get in trouble with Laker fans who act like I don't value Anthony Davis when simply I look at it from the standpoint of what he looks like when he's available and in a rhythm versus when he's dealing with injuries. And the fact of the matter is, is he's not been able to finish a playoff series healthy since he hoisted the trophy. That's just a fact. And that that's a, that's an important footnote on Anthony Davis's career. He has the ability to clear that reputation, right? Just like Joel Embiid has in recent seasons by uh, playing through pain and being more available to his team. Uh, but like when I look at it, you know, he's not the same offensive player as Joel and Nikola Jokic. That's obvious. He's not the same level of of isolation score or post score that Joel Embiid is. He's not the same passer, not in the same stratosphere, neither is Joel Embiid to Nikola Jokic. But I do think he's a significantly better defensive player than both of them. I think uh, his ability to protect the rim supersedes both by a significant margin. And he has the versatility to switch out onto the perimeter. He's the ideal small ball big in NBA history. I've often said that, you know, I, Anthony Davis has never had the case to say he's the best defensive player in the league because of his availability. But I do think his defensive ceiling is as high, if not higher than any player in the NBA and make no mistake. He's not a slouch on the offensive end of the floor. We've seen it recently. This is his third consecutive game with 38 plus points. He's gone for 35 plus 13 times this year most of his scoring average stuff which which dude he's still averaging 26 points per game it's not like he's got some low average but he does have issues with consistency of aggression he does have issues when it comes to settling for jump shots from time to time but when he is engaged healthy trusting his foot and locked in on both ends of the floor he's every bit as impactful as Jokic and Embiid when they're at that same level so I, I I'm curious to say do you think I'm jumping the gun there do you think there's a gap or do you buy AD as that level of player? I think when we're talking about ceilings, absolutely. And there's plenty of evidence for that. I mean, Anthony Davis 2020 in the bubble run was viewed as a bona fide top three, top four player in the world, had one of the best two-way runs that we've ever seen. And sure, that was a bit unfair because he just decided he was going to shoot 38% from deep, which we've <laughs> never seen from him in any other stretch of his basketball career. But never was. The ceiling, you're right, when he's available, is best defensive player on the planet. And we've seen some offensive production from him this year that we've never seen before in terms of the skill. And I think that that's a huge reason this has been such an awesome season for him. Like, the dominance that he's had in that short-range shot-making outside the restricted area, but his hooks and his floaters, 48% on those shots is 8% up from last year almost. He's been significantly better for mid-range, and he's stopped taking 
a lot of the bad jump shots, I feel, at least in comparison to some of these previous years. Like, AD's been a horrible three-point shooter for the last three years now, and he's taking less of them this year, and I think that's just a benefit to his game. He's been aggressive. He's been physical. He's been efficient. Like, if you look at these last two games, I think he has 13 offensive boards, and he's creating second-chance opportunities for himself off his own misses. It's like, when AD sees Alperen Shangun and goes right into his chest and either just goes through him and gets a layup or puts up that little touch shot, that's awesome. When he consistently does that, he's had an awesome rebounding season. Great defensive player. The Lakers are a top three defense when he plays. They're a bottom five defense when he doesn't. Like this is what <laughs> Anthony Davis can be. He's a wrecking ball. Yes, he's not as good of a pure score of the basketball as Joel Embiid. He's not nearly the offensive player that Jokic is. But his two way ceiling has got to be the highest because he can hang forty on you in four out of five games and be the best defensive player by far out of these three. The difference is just the consistency, and it's not just availability. Jason, those two, as these perennial MVP candidates, a status that they've both earned, as these consistent carry-their-team night-to-night guys just have a different level of consistency. Jokic may not take 15 shots every single game. He's going to touch the ball 110 times. He's going to dictate basically every possession, and he's going to lead to a lead offense. Embiid is basically just going to get his 30 and be the most important defensive piece for the Sixers every night. And AD just has never had that consistency the aggression the mentality like even in the last few weeks among these incredible masterpieces you have that eight point game you have a pair of 15 point games like it's just different and that's why I think those two guys have to have the edge but yes AD has proven it and he had these two years of like shocking regression but this AD right now is as good as bubble AD he is I mean he's added new elements to his game more consistently that are more legitimate, in my opinion, than him having a 38% three-point shooting run that was just never going to be replicated. So, no, I don't think that you're out of bounds, but it's the consistency that separates these three to me. That uh, The level of footwork he's been demonstrating, particularly in the last two games, uh, it's like old-school Hakeem Olajuwon, like pivot, pivot, spin yeah. over, both, over both shoulders. He uh, actually looks a touch quicker than he has in the last couple of years. I I think it's just a product of how much the Lakers have needed to lean on him as of late and him just dropping weight. Look, here's the thing. When you're putting together a list, you have to put Jokic in and beat in front. They've earned that right. Uh, But, I mean, I I would argue, especially in a playoff setting, if he's healthy in a playoff series, there is a case. I'm not saying I would necessarily take that uh, pick, but there's a case that AD is the guy that you would pick for a series. Again, looking back to 2020, he was definitively a top four player, I thought. When you were looking at it, it was like LeBron, Steph, and KD were all still clearly ahead. But like coming out of that 2020 playoff, now Giannis has since lapped him. That's a fact. But coming out of that 2020 playoff run, if you had Giannis over AD, you were the crazy guy. Like, because uh-huh. Giannis and his lack of half-court polish showed up in a big, ugly way in that Miami series. And Anthony Davis was the half-court, you know, uh, like tip of the spear for that Lakers team. And they would just dump the ball to him with seven seconds on the shot clock. And, and they were scoring healthy over a point per possession. Like, he mm-hmm. he definitely is 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 deserving of being in that, in that tier, at least, when we're evaluating for a playoff series. Before we move on really quick, I wanted to ask you. I said that uh, Joel Embiid's play here the second half of the season has demonstrated to me that I think he's a slightly better player than Jokic. Are you ready to make that pick or do you disagree with me? No, I'm not quite ready to go there because (laughs) I think that there is still an offensive gap that is really underrated. Like 
the elevation that we see from Jokic night to night, it's unbelievable. And I agree with everything that you've laid out about the Nuggets playing their starters as much as they do together and that sort of messing with some of the team impact stats. But the bottom line is that Jokic still consistently leads the best offense in basketball or a top three offense, uh, what has been the best team in the West consistently this year by far. And he does that all while being a liability defensively. I just think he is a generational, easily top 10 offensive player of all time. And that to me makes up for the defensive gap where I just feel that Embiid is a bit overrated. I still think he's a plodding guy who can be exposed in space. He's a good rim protector, but is holding guys like 2% below their average shooting percentage around the rim this year. So it's not a dominant, like Giannis is 16, right? Giannis is just <laughs> this unfathomable help side rim protector. Embiid is big. He takes up a lot of space. He's good there, but I don't think he's great. So no, I'm not quite there with you. And I will say, if we're going to have this whole, hey, both these guys need to prove more in the playoffs, Jokic has been way better in the playoffs than Embiid. Embiid has maybe once played up to expectations in a playoff series. Jokic has done everything. He's just been exploited a bit more defensively. But offensively, he's been every bit as brilliant as ever. Maybe even more so because he's more aggressive. So that's interesting. I actually go the opposite direction on the playoff side. I think they've been really? more even. I, I think Embiid's been a much better playoff defensive player than Nikola Jokic. Um, but his, the big thing with Embiid is his jump shot falling apart when he reaches that stage. And that, and yeah. that's such a pivotal, important part of his game. And that's going to be what I'm keeping an eye on in this playoff run. But I don't think it's fair to give a playoff edge to either of them. Because like sometimes with Embiid too, like do you remember that Raptors series a couple years ago where it was like, he was shooting terribly. It was like, he shot like yeah. 33% from the field for the series, but like they just dominated the Raptors whenever he was on the floor and got their ass kicked every time he was off the floor. Like I do, I do think. Oh, that are we using on off? Are we using on off stuff now, Jason? <laughs> <laughs> Very interesting pivot. Yeah. I don't know. I just think we've consistently seen the efficiency and production drop with Embiid. Like he's under 47% from the field in his playoff career, under 30% from three, 24 a game. That's just not the same Embiid that we've seen mm -hmm. in the regular season. It's absolute monster. So I would say Jokic has been the better playoff player, but I mean, AD, just to bring it back to him, has fought his way back into this conversation. He's earned it. He fell way out of it. And he had a stretch earlier this year, which now, I mean, he's had that second unbelievable run, but the nine game stretch where he averaged 35, 15 and three blocks per game. Literally nobody has ever done that. Akeem, David Robinson, Shaq, you know, Wilt probably did it a hundred times, but they didn't track blocks and he did it on 72% true shooting. So it's like, you can't deny what he's capable of. It's just, let's see it more consistently. And hopefully in an actual playoff run this year, if the Lakers can get it all together, that would be a lot of fun mm -hmm. because I hate to see wasted potential, Jason. It's, it's no fun. <laughs> <laughs> let's pivot to another game that we saw tonight between a couple of Titans out East, including Joel Embiid. Bucks beat the Sixers. What did you take away from that game? You know, it was interesting. I, I, the Giannis and the Bucks needed this game more than, more than I think, uh, the Philly did. Obviously it was an opportunity for Embiid to put another stamp on the MVP race, which he passed on in the Denver game, which I, I, I actually, I want to, we're going to take a, we're going to take a quick <laughs> break here. Did okay. you have anything to say about Embiid skipping that Nuggets game the other night? <laughs> no, not other than I think that. Well, this is a conversation we'll have later. I'm growing increasingly anti-load management, but if it makes sense for anyone, it's Embiid in his third game in four nights. I was just surprised that he would even allow that after the interview came out that morning. I'm like, that's just a bad look, but no, I do not think Embiid is ducking Jokic, and I think that if you think that, that's ridiculous. Carson, like, if he thinks he's better, he he's played go out 13 there. straight games. 
Oh, you then think he skipped game? that one? <laughs> Whoa. Then played every game since. I'm not saying he he's. I'm not saying he's ducking him, but it's not a good look. It's, it's not, not a, good, a look. good look to play 13 straight games, including a back to back without James yeah. Harden. Games that you probably were going to lose anyway. To then skip that particular game when that game. We know from the straw poll that the MVP race was on like the 50 yard line. Like it was dead heat between Jokic and Embiid. Like it's, it was there for the taking. And again, like it was, to me, it was just like the part that I couldn't figure out was just from, as, from the standpoint of as a competitor and like, mm-hmm. like how do you not want to try to beat him again? You know, but, but that said, like I, maybe I'm, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say that it was, he had some tightness in his calf and he just yeah. decided to rest, but it was weird to play 13 consecutive games and then to hop back for those last two. But so in this particular game, the Bucks came out with a, a much higher defensive energy. They were uh, um, the big schematic thing that stood out to me from this game, which stood out from their last matchup was just Giannis sticking, uh, sticking Giannis on PJ Tucker in the weak side corner. And he's already the most devastating help defender in the league. <clears throat> because again, you guys got to think of it this way. Like James Harden coming off of a ball screen, they like to trap, right? They, they, you'd like to be able to, to show high, not necessarily trap, but bring your ball screen defender up high out to hedge so that James Harden can't get uh, downhill or to his pull-up three, and you're chasing him over the top of the screen, so you're throwing that pocket pass to Joel Embiid at the free throw line. And Giannis is just waiting for him there every single time in help. And then he's such a great athlete that even when there's good shooters out there, he can get a good contest. But here's the thing. Philly's the best spot-up team in the league. But P.J. Tucker's not one of those guys. And again, he tries to impact the game as best as he can in that position. But, I mean, they basically played the uh, the Bucks to a draw when Tucker was off the floor and got their ass kicked when Tucker was on the floor. And I thought a big part of that was Giannis and help. And then a big underrated part of that, too, is especially against teams like Philly that are bad transition defenses. I look at, like, positioning Giannis and help as the perfect transition start. You know, like, he's... Tucker's in the corner. He's standing, getting uncontested rebounds on all of the missed shots that take place in that action. And he's just grabbing and going every single time. And again, when he's, when he's, and I thought he passed the ball pretty well in this particular game. I think he only had like four assists, but he was making the right reads and and, um, um, making Philly pay every time they sent extra defenders. And that was just getting him better opportunities to get downhill. It it just, again, it's, it's, urgency and physicality and all the effort stuff that went Milwaukee's way is a huge swing factor, but that's the biggest matchup piece that stood out to me because if you have to take PJ Tucker off the floor, that's the guy you want to guard Giannis with on the other end of the floor. Right. So it's just, it's a, it's a pretty tough give and take. And then the one other thing was just the Grayson Allen injury tweaked his ankle on like kind of a funky step on the baseline. And that specific position has been a little bit of an issue for the bucks because Pat Connaughton hasn't played especially well. And when they size up and go with guys like Ingles and Jay Crowder, they really struggled to contain on the perimeter, um, which we saw in the Celtics game. So like, uh, it's just that, that's a really unfortunate uh, little ankle twist here. It's so close to the playoffs, but hopefully they'll have uh, a good enough first round matchup that it won't bother them too much. Yeah, I agree with everything you laid out. This also just felt like a game where it was kind of like, Hey, Milwaukee's just better. I mean, when you get this level of impact from drew and Middleton and Bobby Portis had a great game. Giannis got whatever he wanted. He missed four shots. Two of them were just dumb jump shots that I'm <laughs> honest. Why do you still do this? You know, the top of the key three had a weird pull-up jumper. And the one thing I do think that was interesting on top of everything you said is 
Embiid is not always a guy who needs to get all the way to the rim to be super effective, right? Because he's such a lethal pull-up jump shooter. If it's off the short roll, getting that free throw line, he can kill you from everywhere. He can also kill you just getting to the line. But we do know how dominant Milwaukee's interior defense is. It did feel like Embiid was settling a bit in this game at times. One of seven from deep. Only, I believe, attempted... He only made two shots inside of five feet in that restricted area all game, and he took 25 of them. So I thought that they did a good job on him, but I do agree. It just felt like there was more urgency. There was more intensity for Milwaukee, and in a regular season game like this, that can really be a majority of the difference. Let's talk about the Dallas Mavericks, Jason, because they lost again tonight in the Hawks in overtime. They're now a game back of Oklahoma City for that 10 seed, but they're effectively two games back because they do not have the tiebreaker. This is with three games remaining for each of these teams. Are they dead? Man, it's close. Oklahoma City, uh, Oklahoma City gave Phoenix a little bit of a run today, and had they won that game, it would have been over-over. Like, yeah. actually legitimately over. Um, uh, but you know, that was a really funky game. I don't, I'm not sure if you caught it, Carson, but I, I, our, our producer Ryan was joking with us earlier. He's like, he's like, why did Quinn Snyder wait so long to, to jump back into coaching just to take on that Atlanta Hawks job with yeah. Trey Young, the coach killer. They're just kind of like, it's funny. Cause watching that game, like I, I, as a basketball fan, I love watching Kyrie Irving so much, but everything else about watching those two teams play is just like, it makes me want to claw my eyes out, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, there was a really weird sequence at the end of this one. Quinn Snyder tried to give it away. I don't know if you saw it, but when they uh, when they got that offensive rebound off the missed Christian Wood free throw, they ran a lob play for JaVale McGee. There's only four tenths of a second left, and they had uh, uh, Clint Capella, like, way out to prepare to, like, show or to hedge on any sort of, like, catch-and-shoot opportunity. And, like, the funny thing is, is to get a shot off in four tenths of a second, it has to be utterly perfect, right? Yeah. And it just was so obvious that the biggest threat to them was the lob, and they just gave up that lob pass to to uh, uh, JaVale McGee. I did think it was – I'm going to – here's the thing. It's over. Like, the the Mavs, they don't have – it's the same issue we were talking about with the, with the Golden State Warriors where, like, they just – it's they need perfection from Luca and Kyrie to overcome their physical disadvantages. But I, as I've said many times when we've talked about this team, I'm, I don't really judge them this year. I mean, this is, there's no, there's no doubt that it's a catastrophe to entirely miss the playoffs, right? That's a catastrophe under any circumstance. Um, but they were just going to get their ass kicked in a first round series against anybody. Even if they happen to get out of the playing tournament, that was just the reality of their predicament. I did like what they went with down the stretch of that game, though, with Christian Wood and JaVale McGee on the floor. Uh Just going huge just gives them a better fighting chance in the physicality areas of the game. By the way, McGee was a plus 13, and Christian Wood was a plus 10. And again, it it probably won't be those two guys, but that's such a great example of that concept that I was talking about the last time we talked about the Mavericks. When you have surgical offensive players – like Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic, you can sacrifice offensive skill in your role players as long as they can compete with the physicality areas of the game. So that's that's the blueprint right there. Go huge and athletic around Luka and Kyrie and let them make everything offensively. Obviously, it puts a lot on them as shot makers, but again, this is a catastrophe. It's awful, but they were just going to get their ass kicked, and really it's about next season, but you've seen the blueprint and how they need to go. Yeah, there's just a lot that needs to be improved upon. And that's where we're going to have to see some creativity this off season. Like they have some mid-sized contracts here that they could potentially move like a Tim Hardaway jr. Who does not 
merit what he's getting at this point. If you could attach something to the Bertans contract, like maybe you can get somebody to take that on and you try to flip it into a really good two-way wing because they need that unequivocally. They need to upgrade in the front court all around, especially defensively. And I love Christian Wood. I always have because I was watching him in Detroit dropping 20 and 10 in these meaningless April games. And I was like, this guy's skilled. He's athletic. This guy can play. He can, he can handle. And I've always loved him for that. But the bottom line is that he can't play at the five for this team. When you have two liabilities at the point of attack and you don't have a great defensive wing, it doesn't matter all the fun things he can do offensively. Your offense is going to be really good no matter what because you have Kyrie and Luka. And mm-hmm. he's going to hurt you defensively where you just can't afford to take any more damage. So that's what it's going to be all about. I agree with you. This is a bad look. It's embarrassing when you are coming off a conference finals run and you were like a top two team in the second half of last regular season and they were actually defending well and they had all this going right and then they let Brunson walk and we know that they could have had him for four years, 48 million if they had had the foresight and now he's a bona fide star. Like there's a lot that's gone wrong in Dallas and bringing Kyrie into this mix is a dangerous thing to add to the potion of disaster, but it's also potentially the thing that could save them. It just requires a lot going right and there's a lot up in the air here. And I just don't feel great about where Dallas is at. And it's just a, a concerning dynamic overall, I would mm-hmm. say. And in terms of if they can do it this year, sure. I mean, you know, they have the potential to explode offensively in any couple of matchups. They could beat Sacramento and Chicago and San Antonio. But it's like you said, it doesn't matter because they're one of the worst defenses in the league. They have been all year and they're not going to beat the Nuggets right in a first round series. They're just too far behind on that it's inevitable yeah it's inevitable yeah let's take things big picture here for a second because we just had a new cba that was agreed upon yesterday and a few key takeaways from that jason comment on whatever you want the nba has basically moved towards limiting the spending that we can see from the teams that are most willing to spend high amounts in the league so they've put a second salary cap apron, which is 17 and a half million above the luxury tax, that if you are above that, you can't even use the tax player mid-level exception to sign players. That was an interesting move. Other things that we saw in that CBA, now a 65-game minimum for awards eligibility, a mid-season tournament. What stands out to you from all that news that we got? You know, it's unfortunate because th- there are some good things in there. Right, like the mandatory minimums for awards. I think that will help. It'll never do the same thing as shortening the season, but that will help. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad they let the players start smoking weed. Like that, that's just the, the yeah. dumbest thing in the world when weed is 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 demonized the way that it is. Um, but they're allowed to drink as much as they want. It's just silly. Right. Um. Uh. Like so, there's some things that I liked, but I, I, the reality was is did they shorten the season? No. So that doesn't that doesn't send the game in the right direction, in my opinion. Like the best way to get players to play games is to build in the rest into the schedule by spacing the games out more. Like, how are you going to get a guy who makes $45 million a year to play a back-to-back against the Thunder and the Nuggets in February? You're just not going to be able to, right? And, and if you space the games out to where there are no back-to-backs and there's multiple times a week where you're getting – or every single week you have at least one stretch where you get two days off consecutively, like little things like that will effectively be your load management. That also increases the urgency of each game. By shortening the season, each game just like if you shorten the season by 20%, each game becomes 20% more important. It's just simple yeah. math. And so I, I think that was the direction they needed to go. I, I mean, I'm going to keep an open mind about this midseason tournament thing. But like the, the reality is, is 
I, I, I can't imagine any, Le, do you think LeBron's going to care about a midseason tournament? Like, do you think that that's an accolade that he's after? Like, no. So I have a hard time believing it's going to be anything more than just exhibition games if they don't have any impact on the standings. And so it's like, and then the luxury tax penalties thing, it just does. It's completely illogical to me. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a lashing out reaction to this Kevin Durant uh, warrior situation where they uh, ended up with the assets to get D'Angelo Russell to get Andrew Wiggins. And they don't want to have that happen again, where you have this massive payroll. But the reality of the situation is, is that was a fluky occurrence with a massive cap spike that was not smoothed out with Steph Curry on a bargain contract. It was the perfect storm of events that led to the Kevin Durant signing. Nobody's going to go sign a superstar this summer in the luxury tax. It's just silly to me. And most importantly, it punishes good teams who draft well. I would like to see them structure it in a way that makes it so that if you draft a player, and your scouting department does their job to get a good player, that player should count to the cap differently than if you go out and sign a free agent. That's the way to add real uh, fairness to this process, in my opinion. So, again, there's some good, uh, uh, but, like, I just think it's going in the wrong direction. The luxury thing to me makes no more sense at all. I agree with you completely. Like, you're going to punish really good teams who want to spend a lot of money, who want to add that last quality role player. It's just completely illogical to me the one point that really stands out to me is the 65 game minimum just in relation to that maybe being some sort of attempt to fix load management because we have seen a disaster in the last three years in the nba and i pulled these numbers a couple days ago because i was interested because i'm just like we are seeing stars sit so regularly in the last three years jason all stars have missed 20 percent of regular season games and 10 percent of playoff games so Whatever the exact cause of this is, right? I don't know the exact split between legitimate injuries versus load management, but we can look back even to 2017, 2019. Pace was similar. Style was similar. Ground covered was similar, right? It should be a similar toll on your body. Guys were playing 8% more regular season games, 6% more playoff games. We are in a like completely unprecedented disaster in terms of players availability in the entire point of load management is, Hey, we'll sacrifice the meaningless regular season game. So our guys are ready for their playoff run. We've seen 18 all-stars, Jason miss 50 playoff games in the last two years in 2014, not that long ago, zero all-stars missed a single game. I went back to 1988 to 90 because it was the most similar era in terms of a three year span when we're looking at pace to right now. Guys played 96% of regular season games, all-stars, almost 99% of playoff games. So something is very wrong here. I think the season has to be shortened. Load management doesn't seem to be the fix, but I don't know that this 65-game minimum is really going to help because I don't know that guys are load managing for 20 games. It's more probably like 10 to 12, but it sucks. It's tanking the product, and it's not even working at what it's supposed to do. It was like nerd sesh right there. We listened to <laughs> so much interesting information. I agree. Officiating and load management, if they can fix those two pieces, I think the league will skyrocket because they have so much talent. All right, guys, that is all we have for today. No games tomorrow, so we're taking tomorrow off. We, we will be back um, either on Tuesday night or Wednesday morning. I can't remember off the top of my head. But as always, we appreciate your guys' support, and we will see you next time.
Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. Anyone can just start screaming about microchips and Jewish space lasers, but it's our mission to remove the bull and get down to what's real. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.